Welcome to Behind the Shield, IBM X-Force's expert TV show. I am your host, Nick Bradley of the X-Force Incident Command. And I am Mitch Main, Public Information Officer for X-Force. Mitch, it seems that we are reaching into the way back machine for today's episode. 10 years to be precise, and normally I would really want to know why we're going back so far for something in the world of cybersecurity, because I mean, in the world of cyber, that's old. But the problem is this one still holds lessons learned that apply today, and actually I should say lessons learned that were not applied today. There you go. We are going to talk about Shamoon, of all things. Um, so the Shamoon has been called one of the worst cyber attacks that the world has ever seen. Mm -hmm. That's true for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is how it exemplifies the damage a major attack on operational technology and critical infrastructure can reverberate across the globe, not just at home. Yeah, no, completely. And even today, we know that from this year's cost of a data breach report that over one in four critical infrastructure businesses breached suffered a ransomware or a destructive attack at a time when multiple nations cyber authorities are urging heightened vigilance to for these sectors. I mean, they're being warned and told and it's still happening. And this is happening despite the risks. 80% of these businesses don't implement zero trust, experiencing on average 1.17 million in added costs that those that those do, that, I'm sorry, that those that do. In fact, 70% of these breaches were caused due to a business partner being initially compromised, emphasizing the risk of over-trusting these environments. All of these are true, and all of these go to the questions that we want to ask our guest, Chris Kubekstra. She's on again, and as you know, she is a Hawkeye for the critical infrastructure sector, and she was personally involved in the response to Shamoon. Um, she's going to help us shed some light on why things maybe aren't moving as quickly, why we're seeing some of this data in the cost of a data breach report, and what we should be doing instead. Yes. So then what are we waiting for? Let's go ahead and get started. Chris, welcome back. It's always good to have you on. And before I let you get into it, where are you? I am, believe it or not, for a short time at my home in Amsterdam, only because I have been quarantining for COVID. Oh. I got my DEF CON COVID badge, so it's fine. <laughs> I think everybody did. I think everybody did here, too. It's like that was uh, after DEF CON and Black Hat, it was everybody was off it was like i got to take vacation too because i didn't go but everybody was gone so i'm like i'm thinking they just maybe like put it in the air system or in, in the water just we're going to just knock this out all at once here we go share with everybody <laughs> sharing is caring well put on my we're glad you're better <laughs> we're glad you're better and we're glad, glad that we have the aurora borealis going on behind you that is it and but like i said it's always good to have you on welcome back to the show i love you guys thank you so much for having me well, we love having you on too. We're going to dive right into this because we have an interesting topic that I didn't see coming this week until you pinged me two weeks ago, a week ago, um, Chris. And so we're going to um, talk about Shamoon, which is a, a little bit older here. Um, we want you to kind of start off by giving us a thumbnail of what happened because I know you were personally involved with the recovery on that um, and how the attack was handled. Well, the background is going to be really handy because let's face it, there's probably people in the industry now that weren't in the industry back when this took place. Yeah, very true. Very true. Well, um, I think it can be summed up uh, with an epic series of failures that should not have occurred. Oh, please continue. Yes. Um, 
so back in the day, uh, it seems so long ago, 10 years ago, uh, here you have this, this really big company. It still is a very big company, uh, Saudi Aramco. Mm -hmm. And they concentrated on getting the oil out of the ground. Fantastic. But nowadays, and even then, everything is digitized when it comes to that process. And they forgot a few, I, I would say, basic steps. Uh, basic security. Um, they had no network segmentation. So it's like a boulder rolling downhill, ready to squash you if there's some sort of malware or virus or something. Uh, they did not use basic encryption. Uh, so if you were the domain admin, you could reset your password over an internal website that didn't even encrypt. Um, that, that was not a good thing. They were much more con uh, focused on checking the boxes. Uh, so when the uh, attack was first reported to them, uh, the SOC manager at the time in Saudi said, don't you dare contact me. We're in the middle of an audit for our ISO 27001 because it would have just caused problems, again, checking the box. Um, also, one of the things that happens with multinationals uh, is sometimes they don't want to listen too much to the satellite offices. Mm -hmm. So Houston's satellite office is actually a very big office, uh, first made the report and they're like, what do you people know? You're not here in Saudi, you don't know anything. Uh, got to the point where the European offices and the Asian offices contacted Saudi Aramco's SOC manager uh, in a desperate plea uh, a few days before the attack occurred. And that particular uh, call went down uh, the line of, don't call me on my day off, we're not going to open an incident. And then, so, so they had multiple warnings. Multiple warnings, absolutely multiple warnings over and over again uh, from the people in the IT group. Now, if non-security IT people can see that there's a domain admin logged into over 250 different devices at the same time, there might be a problem. Um, and this also means that security people really need to listen to the regular IT people because in many cases, they know when something's off on their systems. They you know, know this feels systems. like a bad Jeff Foxworthy joke. You might have a problem if <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, but it it uh, it turned uh, very sad very quickly from a, a a great joke to a terrible joke. So uh, on August 11, uh, when uh, about two hours after the pace bin was posted uh, from the cutting sword of justice, uh, computer systems started to act a little funny and started to try to shut down. Uh, burning American flags started appearing on screens. It started rolling through the system. Uh, and one thing to remember is Saudi Aramco, it's not only the most valuable company in the world still, um, it also provided two-thirds of the mobile internet access for Saudi Arabia and all of the internet access to all of the universities, most of the schools, fire departments, police departments, and hospitals in the country. So when they took the decision to disconnect because they didn't know what was going on, they actually disconnected most of the internet of the country of Saudi Arabia. So it was a very drastic step, right? <clears throat> so this leads me into the next question then, and I think you were probably going to get there on your own if I just let you keep going. And I want to talk longer reaching effects or, you know, effects that reach outside of just the victim. And that's, I think, where you were going. So other than the obvious impact to Saudi Aramco, how was the market impacted? 
Ooh, that one was a, a tricky one. Um, I think we can, most of us listening to the show can remember when Colonial Pipeline occurred. And no, I thought we agreed to never say their name again. Yeah, there we um, go. So it's it's here. Deal with it. it it's, you get one. Okay, I get one. <laughs> so uh, a similar thing occurred. Uh, a journalist uh, in Saudi who unfortunately has since disappeared uh, posted a photograph of miles and miles of tanker trucks unable to be loaded because the payment systems were down. Mm-hmm. Uh, one big difference was uh, Saudi Ramco saw how it was affecting the country and Bahrain because they also give uh, petrol to Bahrain and actually even got office workers to try to manually load the tanker trucks and gave away the gasoline for free to uh, mm. get everything going. But it took 14 days to get to that point. Uh, so the uh, company that shall not be named, uh, within days, the market's started going a little wonky. I was in the DC area and I saw people lined up, uh, couldn't get uh, gasoline and all that, but that only took a week to start getting things rolling. But they were two weeks in before they actually started going. Uh, During this time, there were many uh, private meetings, uh, some of which uh, had the likes of BP, Shell, and so forth, with various market regulators. And the big fear was if production was affected even more, how high would the market go? And so uh, from BP, their expert, who is a friend of mine, actually estimated to the group it could go as high as $450 a barrel, which would have obliterated world economies. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure we didn't even come close to that with the recent price changes no well this brings up an interesting point it's we've sort of touched on it and i think that we want to make it we want to drive it home here why is shamoon something that we should still be talking about a a decade later what's improved um what are we doing differently or better Um, if we can focus on a few of those because i i suspect there's probably not a lot well, uh, the great news is uh, Shamoon has made returns over and over again. So we have Shamoon 1, 2, and 3, and still ongoing attacks uh, against Saudi Aramco in the mm-hmm. form of different types of malware, to physical attacks, to bomb-laden drones, etc. And it was last year when I was speaking with the chief engineer from Saudi Aramco on the Saudi stage in Dubai at a conference where he admitted that they had halted an attack in January of last year that uh, its goal was to kill thousands of civilians and take Mm. them offline. So these things are still ongoing. They are fighting these fires constantly. So So the market is still, yeah. These are kinetic effects then, as well as it was market effects. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's interesting that you went there. I'm glad that we brought that into the conversation because I'm sure some of our our listeners or our watchers here are wondering, why are we still talking about this? It's old. And there's reasons to still talk about it because it's like you just said, it's still happening. And it seems all too often that we only learn after a catastrophe, right? So where are we falling short? How, how do we address these shortcomings? What did we learn from this or what should we have learned that we still haven't? Well, I think there's still uh, way too much of a disconnect between um, the those who try to address the risk and those who make the decisions to actually address the risk. Now, I've heard the term uh, 
what is it, uh, soft skills when it comes to communications between the tech world and the executive world. But it's mm-hmm. actually a very hard skill to master. And if an organization is big enough, they should definitely have basically a translator between uh, the digital risk. That's what I do, by the way. Yeah, perfect, <laughs> right? I mean, you, you have to be. And it is hard. You're right. Yeah. It's very, very difficult. Um, But these are major risks. And it isn't just risks to that one particular company. That company going down uh, can create all of this market uh, issues where everything becomes unstable. And as we've seen this year, none of us really like our energy unstable because prices go sky high. So, Chris, you wrote a really interesting article that was posted on the Middle East Institute um, website that I borrowed liberally from for the purposes of the blog notification in um, the IBM community. And you outlined some specific recommendations, and they were sort of twofold. One was technical and one was policy. Can you give us a Cliff Notes idea of, of what you think we need to change in order to help prevent something like this again? Well, I think that uh, some of the things that we can do is really push home from the policy side, things that are actually implementable. Um, There should be obviously an increase in public-private data sharing, but at the same time, if it comes to the point where a company is asked to share data with the government, they should also tell that company, we're not going to fine you up the bazoo uh, for the data that you send. Uh, We're also going to hire the appropriate amount of people to handle the data because data overload is as bad, if not worse, than no data. Um, And we're also going to try to work with you in case bad things happen and institute it in an easy way. One of my favorites was uh, and still is in Israel due to one of their water cyber attacks. They started an emergency phone call or emergency number 311 for any water facility who thinks they're under attack. It should really be kind of that easy uh, for an organization to call in because, quite frankly, organizations already have a tough enough time against cyber criminals mm-hmm. and some of the nation state attackers and hacktivists and everything in between. But very rarely are companies, no matter how big they are, prepared for nation-state-style attacks, uh, which is what happened in the Shamoon case. Yeah, for sure. It's it's like a nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition situation. You don't expect it until it's too late. (laughs) But the question I have for you now then is, do you see another one of these in our future? And I, I don't mean Shamoon specifically, even though now that we've heard that there's been a little bit more Shamoon since since the beginning anyway. But I mean, something that was this big of a boom that has such a reaching effect out into the world. Do you, do you see something like that coming again? Absolutely. Unfortunately, no. but absolutely. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, for some of the listeners you may not have uh, known, but I was actually in Ukraine when the uh, war started. And the reason I was brought there was because of the fear of a nuclear cyber attack. Mm-hmm. And I've already handled six or seven of them. So um, will it happen? Absolutely. Sh- should we be more prepared? Yes. Um, so we have to come to that middle ground where we know that these things are going to happen. They're going to uh, scare markets like crazy. There's going to be uh, risk to human life. And we have to absolutely prepare with implementable policy and a way for organizations to contact governments if they need help. You know, sadly, I, I made the statement earlier 
that usually holds true saying that sometimes we only learn after a catastrophe, right? But I'm starting to think that even after a catastrophe, we still don't learn. I unfortunately have to agree with you there. I don't quite understand. Um, I'm surprised that this is my real hair uh, and I haven't ripped it all out for the amount of time uh, that I have. Uh, I come prepared. Based, right. You came prepared. But I feel like uh, the Cassandra uh, mm -hmm. in the uh, story where you oh, tell yes. people, you know, this is the way that it's going to be. This is what will happen. Please do something. And yet I'm Cassandra and never believed. Um, but we have to integrate this stuff. Uh, in the very near future, I think it's 2025, we're looking at almost 50 billion IoT devices connected to the mm -hmm. internet. Awesome. And almost none of them have security. Uh, and they're being put into industrial. Uh, industrial IoT, IIoT, new acronym, just what we wanted. These things are going to happen. Uh, so uh, please don't treat this as Cassandra. Uh, this is very real. And um, it, it's very frightening that we have uh, decided to go digital, which is great, but not understand the risks of our decisions. Well, and we see that here too. It's like a, a little bit of lather, rinse, repeat. It's like there was several missteps, obviously, in the Shamoon debacle, but I mean, the basic hygiene just wasn't there. And you're right, the communication between um, technical people and executives is so critical. Um, something that I struggle with personally is understanding what the technical people are saying in terms of, hey, XYZ is happening. But you can't just say that to a business level person because they don't get what the outcome is and trying to get the technical person to say, that means one, two, three will occur. Right. Taking that step is, a, is, is extremely helpful. But trying to get those two sides at the same table and talking the same language is a tough one. Yeah. Well, well we let's, let's be honest about it too. None of, none of this stuff is cheap, right? Doing, doing the right thing is expensive. And it's just how it's going to be. And until the decision makers can be convinced that the investment now is going to be better than waiting for it to happen and dealing with the aftermath. Mitch, we need more Mitches. And I hate to say that because well, I, I find it ironic, Nick, that you would say that I'm not cheap because usually you take cheap shots at me all the time. So I appreciate the actual backhanded compliment. That hey, out. things that we say off the air are supposed to stay off the air. Remember? <laughs> Uh, Chris, you are awesome and amazing. We appreciate you sharing the, um, the tale of Shamoon and let's hope that there is not another one, but I suspect you are probably right, Cassandra. Um, we do not lather, rinse, repeat. We do not learn from our mistakes or, and sadly not other people's mistakes, which is really where we should be. Um, no, and I think thoughts? that's going to, and I think that's going to be your nickname from now on is Cassandra. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it, it's kind of funny. I was uh, recently in Moldova and Transnistria uh, for various reasons. Um, and uh, I was speaking to one of my counterparts in Romania, and he said, uh, basically, uh, anytime I visit a country, they should be worried because I seem to be a harbinger of cyber disaster. Oh, no. You're not the canary so, in the coal mine. Oh. Right. So don't worry, I'll be visiting uh, the U.S. shortly, and it's going to be a fantastic trip. Well, why don't you come to the East Coast, and I'll fly out there to meet you versus come to San Francisco. So 
It'll be better. Consider it done. <laughs> there we go. Well, on that note, again, I want to say thank you, Chris. We always appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge with us because I always feel a little bit smarter, sometimes a lot of bit smarter after we've hung out with you for a bit. So uh, be safe and we hope to see you again soon. See you guys soon. Can't wait. Thanks, Chris. And as always, thank you all for watching today. We look forward to seeing you on our next episode. For IBM Security X-Force, I am Mitch Main. And I am Nick Bradley. And you have been Behind the Shield. <laughs>